This week on The Sport Blokes. On this week's show, the NBA playoffs are nearly here. Is there such thing as too many Rosses? The first test between England and Pakistan, and round 10-11 of the Is This Actually Too Much Football League? I'll definitely be clicking explicit again this week. As we do at the start of every week, Shui, what caught your eye and what'd you miss? Well, what caught my eye this week was unfortunately a really poor Twitter poll from the Dan Lebertard show with Stugots. I've never been a fan of this show and I speak about this all the time, but their poll question was, is it funny that the guy who refused to kneel immediately blew out his knee? Referring to Jonathan Isaac, who looks likely to miss the entire next season. Really, really poor form from them. Yeah. Look, I I actually quite like the Dan Labertard show, but yeah, that one's definitely on the nose. It's not great form. Yeah, no. Hopefully yours is a little bit more positive than that. Well, so I had a smorgasbord. My wish came true. I had a smorgasbord of sport this weekend. I watched all sorts of stuff. I watched uh, another young Rioli in the waffle, uh, Subiaco versus South Fremantle. I watched Melbourne Victory score two goals on the glory. I believe they had three in the end on us. Four. Four, was it? There you go. Yep. I saw a bit of baseball, saw a bit of ice hockey, but I obviously saw tons of NBA. But of particular interest that caught my eye this week, Shuey, was uh, Scottish Premier League club Ross County, who signed goalkeeper Ross Doohan to join the goalkeeping stocks, which already included Ross Laidlaw and Ross Munro. Yes, that's correct. All three of their goalkeepers are known as Ross. And it doesn't end there. The club also has Ross Draper and Ross Stewart. So they've got half a team of Rosses. The Ross County Rosses. Indeed. Indeed. Now, like, I can almost see it now, basically. Like, Ross. Pass it to Ross. Down the flank to Ross. The cross in Ross! Holds it. Holds it. <laughs> well, you'd, you'd have the goalkeepers uh, playing out of the out of the goal square for a while if that were the case. You'd have to. But, uh, yeah. No, that'd be good to see. What'd you miss, mate? Well, I, I guess I kind of missed the last day of the first test between England and Pakistan for the Butt-Butt Trophy. Oh, Salman Butt? So named for Salman Butt of Pakistan and Harry Butt of England. Ah, very nice. But I actually feel really good about the quality and quantity of sports I watched this week. I really don't feel like I missed much, so I'm, I'm actually happy to say I'll pass on it. Well, that's yeah. a first. It probably will last as well. Here but... in week 10. I missed what some people called the game of the round in the AFL, and I'm not, I don't know, I feel like Gold Coast and St Kilda was game of the round, but I, I did miss Richmond Port, which was said to be quite a good game, so I would have liked to have seen that no, one. I'm with you, St Kilda Gold Coast was game of the round for me, 100%. Quick news roundup as always, depending on who you ask, the Woodies, winners of 11 Grand Slams and 61 ATP titles, don't talk anymore. Mark Woodford said that he and Todd Woodbridge don't talk anymore, seemingly stemming from Todd's decision to play with Jonas Bjorkman on the Legends Tour, rather than with his old pal Mark. Now, the the origin story here is quite interesting, actually. Mark initially played with uh, John McEnroe and indeed won the 1989 US Open doubles with him. But after that, McEnroe decided he'd focus on his singles career, for good reason, as we know. And McEnroe told him, you can achieve so much in this sport, you need to find an Australian, you need to find someone a little younger, you need to find a right-hander, someone who plays singles and doubles every week like yourself, and someone who can represent your country in some of the biggest matches you'll play outside of Grand Slams, which is, of course, the Davis Cup. He said he described Todd Woodbridge to me, and the rest was history. Yeah, that's exactly who it sounds like. Do you reckon it's it's them or the Bryan brothers for best all-time duo? Well, looking at the stats, it's Bryan brothers. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It, prob- it is, probably it? is. I yeah. must say, the one thing that I hate about those guys, every time they win a big point, they're doing the big chest bump. 
Ah, the chest bump. uh, It was like when you guys used to play volleyball and insist high-fiving each other after every single play. That's different. That's different. (laughs) Not in COVID times. And I still do it. Well, actually, I still do it, to be honest. Well, we we haven't, at risk of gloating, can you gloat about these things? I guess you can. We haven't had a community transmission case in Perth since April. We've done all right. We've done all right. We've done all right. Moving on to golf now, Colin Morikawa wins the PGA Championship at a score of 13 under par, two strokes clear of overnight leader Dustin Johnson and Englishman Paul Casey. Morikawa's six under par 64 was the equal low score for the final round, and he played the shot of his life on the drivable 16th hole as he put his drive to within seven feet and rolled in the eagle putt to give himself a bit of breathing room. He actually also became the fourth player at the age of 23 to win the PGA Championship, joining Jack Nicholas, mm. Tiger Woods... And Rory McIlroy. Mm, pretty good company. Very good company. Mm. Speaking of McIlroy, how classy a move was this from him in the second round? So he's on the third hole. He misses the fairway. Misses it pretty badly. Because there's no crowds out there and very few marshals, it's not like it usually is where you get a swarm of people around a ball. So they actually couldn't find the ball until a member of the media actually stepped on it. Oh. So he's pushed it down into the ground. And as a result of that, he gets a free drop. And they can kind of get the, the ground back, I guess, to what it was before the, the size 10 foot land on top of it. But when he dropped the ball, he actually said he didn't feel comfortable with getting an advantage. So he actually pushed his ball down a little bit further huh. and ended up with a bogey on the hole. Interesting. Really, really classy move from McElroy. A couple of other things out of this. Did you see Steph Curry interviewing him after the event? Can't say that I did, but I know Steph loves his golf. Yeah, he, uh, he introduced himself as Steph Curry from Underrated Media. Ah. And he asked a really good question talking to Morikawa about his mindset as he was coming down. Is he the sort of guy who watches the scoreboard and sort of sees how he is going on the leaderboard? Or is he a guy that just takes it all sort of on his own? And uh, I thought it was a really, really good question. So You'd hope a professional athlete would know how to ask a good question. Yeah, well, he did very, very well. And the other thing I thought was quite funny, <laughs> Morikawa actually dropped the lid of the trophy. Just, I don't know if you saw no, that. No, I didn't. He went to lift it up and as he's hoisted it, he's pushed it up too quickly and the lid's just popped off. Oh dear, he's done a Mike Ellis. He he did, he did. Not a good week for ex-NRL players. Firstly, former Parramatta Eels prop Orcuzo Juno Paolo, hopefully didn't butcher that too badly, (laughs) has been sentenced to 17 years in jail with nearly 12 months non-parole after being convicted of several crimes after he and accomplice were found with two pistols and almost $650,000 in cash in 2017 with a plan to purchase 900 kilograms of cocaine. And then former Newcastle Knight and Gold Coast Titan Bo Henry was sent off during a semi-professional game in Sydney after a rival complained that he smeared blood on him. The match was being streamed live on the NSWRL Facebook page. Smooth. That's bloody disgraceful. Well, in in normal times, that would be disgraceful. Yeah, well, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's just unacceptable. Well, especially now that there are some cases starting to creep into New South Wales. Oh, even it's completely unacceptable on so many levels. And COVID aside, there are a lot of other diseases that are transmitted through blood as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Really disappointing. Yeah, no, not good. Moving over to America, the Major League Baseball, we had an all-in brawl. The Oakland Athletics and Houston Astros were involved in a bench-clearing brawl that went against Major League Baseball's coronavirus protocols and will probably lead to a few suspensions, I think. It all happened after Athletics outfielder Ramon Laureano, who had just been hit by a pitch for the second time in the game, was having words with the Astros bench before Houston bench coach Alex Cintron, or Cintron, I'm not sure how you pronounce that one, but uh, he encouraged Laureano to come on over, giving him the the little the beckoning signal. The international sign for, you know. For get over here. Yeah. 
So he charged the Houston dugout, which basically sparked the fight. Luckily, he was stopped by backup catcher Dustin Garneau before things got too out of hand. But the Athletics manager, Bob Melvin, made the comment after the match that Ramon wouldn't go over there unless something completely offensive came out of the dugout. He is calling for suspension. So this this is going to be very, very interesting to see what happens. Uh, Baseball continues to not be in good shape. Oakland won the match 7-2. And let's not dwell any further. Adults play adult games. We've got some adult content this week. We do. Let's not, let's not wait any further. And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? Well, the bloody hell this week also comes from Major League Baseball with Reese McGuire being caught masturbating in his car outside a shopping centre. Oh dear. He was fined $450 after initially being charged with exposure of sexual organs, a first degree misdemeanor punishable by up to a year in jail and a fine of up to $1,000. He was asked why he didn't just go home and made the comment, I don't know, I just parked, oh, basically. Dear. Really, really poor. So uh, two, <laughs> two balls, one strike, am I right? <laughs> well, it gives a whole new meaning to the term at bat. It does. So I've had a look and I've come up with a list of 10 other players who were caught masturbating <laughs> in public. No, no, just just kidding. Obviously not. But bloody hell. Oh, bloody hell. Stewie, did you ever know the meaning of the bases? I know home, getting to home is sex, but what's third and, you know, second and first and... Uh, well, I'd have to imagine making out's probably first base. Uh, heavy petting, as they call it, would be second base, I'd imagine. Everything probably leading up to sex is probably third base. And, and having a wank in the car is just being in the batter's cage. That's, yeah, exactly right. <laughs> He's, yeah, he didn't, didn't even make it up to bat. Well, actually, he did, but... <laughs> bloody hell. Bloody hell. <laughs> bloody hell. Well, mate, let's not dwell... Let's go from one case of indecent sexual dealings to another. Big news in the AFL. Yeah, we've got a couple of cases of casual indecent assault in locker rooms with Richmond and St Kilda. So we've got Jaden Short and Nick Vloston both seen groping Mabor Chol's groin and simulating the act of inserting a finger into his bum. Uh, and Dan, Dan Butler was seen groping Jay Gresham too for St Kilda, so not a particularly great look for the AFL. These players forget there are cameras everywhere. There are. But even so, why are they doing it? What is going on? It doesn't look great, does it? It's, it's just... I don't get it. I think the thing that... I know you wanted to talk about this, though, was the deflection. Well, I'll, before that, I don't know if you heard, but Chol and his dad both came out and said they were okay with it. Well, so did Gresham as well, but... But did you see the footage? Chol did not look like he was okay with no, it. No. He looked incredibly uncomfortable. No. And the, the whole, I'm okay with it, just reeks of, don't want to rock the boat. Oh, know, exactly. Want to, yeah. you know, keep my head down and that sort of thing. But I didn't like the way Hardwick dealt with it either. So he was asked, I, I want to say Hugh Remington, I don't know for sure. But someone asked him about the matter and he said, oh, is there anything on field you want to talk about? And, and he said, well, this is important. You know, can you please address this? And he says, okay, nothing on field. All right, I'm going. And he smoke bombed. He did Donald Trump. Heard a question he didn't like and pissed off. And I, I you know, fair enough if he wanted to, you know, not go into too much detail, but Surely you can at least say, oh, look, the club's dealing with this. We'll talk about it. We'll release an official statement at a later time Mm. or something to that effect. Play it with a straight bat. Yeah, I I just, I'm so off Damien Hardwick, it's not funny. (laughs) It wasn't, it was never going to take you much though, was it? (laughs) Well, he's just being a cantankerous old prick. Yeah, I must admit, I'm not a big fan of Hardwick's at the best of times, but... Yeah, I think you're 100% spot on. The response of these two players saying, no, 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 everything's okay, it it very much does have that feeling of, yeah, you say the wrong thing and you'll be outed by the group, especially for Chol. Ostracized, yeah. I mean, it's his first season. Gresham's at least a little bit more... You know, entrenched in that side, he's not going anywhere anytime soon. But Chol definitely would have that feeling of, I'm not quite there yet, even though he's playing some really good football for them. 
Yeah, it, it does. It just sort of says to me, if I say the wrong thing, I'm going to be outed by this team and I don't want any part of that. So everything's fine. It's one of those weird things about blokey sport culture I never got. But mm. these things do happen. Uh, a couple of fixture updates before we look at the games. The Northern Territory will be getting a couple of games, including Dreamtime at the T. At the T, yeah. Essendon and Richmond playing at T.O. Stadium. They've got Gold Coast and Carlton playing there as well, but the rest of it's pretty much the same as is, just Control-C, Control-V. So we've got games across Perth, Adelaide and Brisbane for that round again. So... Uh, I guess Fremantle and, and West Coast will continue playing their games here and Adelaide and Brisbane will get to, to play their games over there. And good to see the Territory get a few games. They get a few games a season anyway, so it's good mm. to see that even in these times they can. Speaking of Perth, Adelaide, Brisbane, I suppose we probably should give a couple of minutes to this, uh, oh. this article. That I don't know you're... It almost ha- the AFL Grand Final. It almost has to be a standing item, doesn't it? It, it kind of does, but I think this is a perfect segue into it. To, oh, of course. To, talking about those three areas. So for anyone who maybe didn't see it, there was an article that, that came out basically saying, well, let's... Jai Bednall on news.com.au. Yeah, saying let's play this the same as a lot of the other sports do. So if West Coast happened to finish top and make it through to the grand final, it should be played at Optus. If Port Adelaide make it, Adelaide Oval. If Brisbane make it, it's played at the Gabba. I personally don't mind the idea. I'm not a. I think it's going to be tricky in terms of logistics. This is the, okay. This is my point. He's living in fantasy land. Jai Bednall needs to write a column. He's written his column. It's complete nonsense. How how possibly? So basically, what he's posed is, oh yeah, we'll work it out once we know who the highest seed prelim winner is. So basically, they have a week. Okay, maybe two if they want to have a break. If the prepar- to work out... Oh, it's, it, look, it, like it's- it would be incredibly difficult, but I think if they can get the preparation work done early... Look, you know who's going to be in the prelims. So you've, got, you've actually got two weeks to, to at least have an idea. The thing that I'm not a big fan on uh, of, though, I guess, is they're saying that if one of the Melbourne... So let's say, for example, Richmond get through, uh, or Essendon, or St Kilda... I don't know why I picked Essendon. They're not going to be there. Sorry, Essendon supporters. But well, you, you never know. You never know. But no, look, if, if one of those teams does get through, then they get to choose where out of those three they go. That's the tricky one. They would almost have to really nominate that yeah, earlier. Yeah, it's but pure fantasy. It's it's a good, it's a nice article. It's, great, it's interesting, but it's, a, it's never going to happen. It's such it's a great, complete rubbish. It's such a great fantasy, though. Yeah, it's as a, rubbish. As a WA person. Yeah, I know. You want the Eagles to host the, the granny. The prospect of, of that actually happening... What, what I will say, okay, so there's been some discussion. We've, t- we've touched on it a little. We'll go a bit deeper here. There's been some, some people, particularly people here in WA, are saying, oh, why would you let it be in Brisbane? They don't even give a shit about footy in Brisbane. What are they going to do? Would you worry about it not selling out in Brisbane if it was like, I don't know, Port Eagles for argument's sake? Well, yeah, it's a, it's a genuine concern. That's that's the biggest concern for me. And look, I think they probably would, and they they'd get they'd get a full crowd, however big a crowd they're allowed to have. I think they would get. It depends on. That's the, the only thing to me. You know, I think South Australia or WA would have a packed house regardless. Brisbane's not an AFL kind of state, but hey, it's becoming an AFL state. It's been a good season for that state. So look, I think yeah, I think it's going to be in Brisbane, and I think they probably will sell as well, many as they can. To look to rebut those two points. I've got no problem with it being in Brisbane. Brisbane, as I've mentioned previously, they put their hand up when the AFL needed them. WA and South Australia didn't, so I've got no problems with it going there. In terms of, I guess, Eagles fans or even sort of Port Adelaide fans flying across to Brisbane, I know we've got slightly harder borders, I guess, than, than most. Well, that's, that's exactly the thing. So I know if we got across... I wouldn't fly across to Brisbane and have to come back and spend two weeks or sitting in a hotel at my own expense because of the fact that I wanted to go and watch a football match. 
So I, you don't know whether or not that would that would work the same as it does in Melbourne, but I guess this is just... Yeah. Look, you can't blame a bloke for writing an article. He needs to write his copy every week. And, you know, it, it's a nice fantasy. It's but such a great fantasy. Yeah, I look, love it. It's not going to happen, mate. It's <laughs> not going to happen. I love the fantasy. I, I, I read today that there's speculation the hard borders may exist until after Christmas. So with 14-day quarantine periods and all this sort of thing, yeah, I can't see it happening. Hmm. And that's the only concern for me is that if it is in Brisbane and it ends up as West Coast Port or Richmond Port or some sort of non- some sort of iteration of that, will they get the numbers? That's my only concern. And yeah, I understand the logistics of it. Would I be think they probably will. I think that I think the silver lining to this horrible COVID thing with the AFL is that they've been allowed to increase exposure in Queensland, and I think a grand final will continue with that exposure. Yeah. Oh, it would be nice, though. It would be nice. Now that I've injured your soul, Stewie, what about AFL injuries for the rounds yeah, 10 and so, 11? So I'm out for at least three weeks with a broken heart. <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, we've, we had a few. Not as many as previous weeks, but we'll, we'll run through them. So uh, in the Brisbane-Richmond game, Cam Rayner did a hamstring. Collingwood-Sydney, we had a, a couple of bad ones. Will hoskin Elliott copped two pretty bad knee knocks. Uh, Adam Trelaw did a hamstring, and Isaac Quaynor came off with a really bad leg injury, which we will talk about a little bit later. North Melbourne-Geelong, Ben Brown looks to have maybe done a knee. His stocks just continue plummeting. Uh, and Magic Daw and Jasper Pettard both tweaked ankles. The Melbourne-Adelaide game, Will Hamill copped a really bad sling tackle, resulting in a concussion and a four-week ban for Alex Neil Bullen, which I... Four weeks was maybe a little bit too much, maybe maybe three, but it was it was a pretty bad tackle. GWS Essendon, Jacob Townsend copped a nasty concussion in the opening minutes of that game. Jordan Ridley took a bad shot to the ribs. And how was Phil Davis? He looked to have done his knee, and he's hobbling off the ground. Oh, yeah. He goes straight back into a yeah. contest to make sure the ball's locked in and yeah. then continues hobbling off. Uh, my oh, my heart was in my mouth that whole time. Yeah, just, that was one of those like in the nineties. You're like, oh yeah, good hard player, great, you know. Yeah. And and in nowadays, you're thinking, don't make Dude, it worse. <laughs> you guys could be in the grand final. Yeah, don't make it worse. Yeah, I mean, he's a great. It's hard not to love Phil Davis. I actually think he should still be their captain. But yeah, that was madness. Curious, yeah, absolute madness. Yeah, I just some people are just so competitive, aren't they? Yep. Speaking of sort of bad knee injuries, uh, Brisbane Western Bulldogs, Charlie Cameron, incredibly lucky not to have done his knee. Did you see that? No, I didn't see that one, actually. He went up for a mark, got kind of undercut a little bit, and landed with a really bad hyperextension. He was, honestly, I think most people thought at the time, that's his season done. And apparently from all reports, everything looks okay. I don't know if he'll play for the next couple of weeks, but it might not be season Well, with over. short turnarounds, you'd probably want to rest him just to be safe. I think so. You'd probably give him a, a couple of weeks. Carlton West Coast, Jack Martin did a calf for Carlton. The Melbourne-North Melbourne game, a ton of injuries for the Roos in this game just to rub salt into the wounds. Aiden Bonner, left shoulder. Jed Anderson with an eye injury. Josh Walker corked his thigh. And Robbie Tarrant also with a corky bit to his calf. So... As I say, not too many bad injuries and not too many hamstrings, which is kind of nice, <laughs> but uh, but still a few. As we straddle rounds 10-11, Shuey, our spotlight game this week in the Battle of the Kings. Ben kicked three for the Gold Coast, his brother Max kicking one, but his brother came away with the spoils as St Kilda, 12 goals, 6-78, defeated the Gold Coast, 11 goals, 8-74. Dan Butler kicked four in an absolute cracker. Yeah, look, I'm going to start this by saying I don't know who my favourite non-eagle is. Is it Dan Butler or Isaac Rankin? I'm really oh, not Isaac sure. Rankin. 
Look, a real cracking seesaw game. Huge plays at both ends of the field late into the fourth. And you feel like another minute would have seen the Suns get up. And maybe another minute after that would have seen the Saints win it again. Oh, absolutely. It seesawed several times. That last quarter was absolutely fantastic. Mm. Absolutely. As you mentioned, Butler was probably the difference between the two teams with his four goals. Probably two of the His cheap, last one, very clever. His that cheeky little one. check sides. Yeah. They're oh, fantastic. They really are. But Gold Coast had more inside 50s. They won the contested possessions. They dominated the clearances, but just couldn't finish the job, unfortunately. So a really big scalp for St Kilda. And you know, they shore up their position in the top four at that stage. Isaac Rankin, he, he looks a bit uh, like Jason Akermanis. Do you reckon? The facial hair? He's got a bit of Jason Akermanis about him. But uh, that's a good point. Eh? At, at risk of, uh, of repeating myself, he is just a highlights package Waiting to happen, isn't he? And again, he's played a handful of games and would have a better highlights package than some blokes that have played 100 games. It's just incredible. And not only that, he took a lovely mark and he kicked a fantastic goal late as well on, on the left. I just He just continually has me shaking my head. So it actually made me think, he's the kind of bloke that could win both mark and goal of the year. Now, it's only been done twice by the same person in the same year. I don't know if he'd ever be able to do that. I won't test you on this one, Stewie, because I don't know. I don't think you'd get it. So Michael Mitchell and Peter Bazosto are the only two players to have done it in the same season. I don't know if Isaac will ever do that. But geez, I would not be surprised if he has both a mark and goal of the year under his belt by the time his career's finished, which would, is hopefully a long time away. Me. I'm amazed that someone like Jeff Farmer never managed it. I know he had mark of yeah, the year. Yep. And I think he might have had goal. Well, he had goal of the year. Well, they were blokes in the same season. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So he's done it in different seasons. So there you go. We might have to look at that whole list on another occasion. Mm. Quick roundup of the other games. We've already talked about um, our good friend Damien Hardwick. Richmond had a win, 12 goals, 10-82, defeating Brisbane. Four goals, 17-41. Brisbane, horrible in front of the sticks. Yeah, I could talk a lot about some of the great things to come out of this game for Richmond, like Jack Riort kicking four or how good Liam Baker was. But the issue for me is that four goals, 17 that you spoke about. Do you know it's the second worst score for the year in terms of accuracy behind only the two goals at 11 North Melbourne kicked in round seven? There you go. I went back and checked every single one of them. It's an absolute shocker. Brisbane ranked worst in the league for accuracy and worst in the league for accuracy predictor. So basically what the league averages would assume they would kick based on where the shots are taken from. Hmm. So what it says is they're getting a lot of shots from the boundary or a lot of shots from outside 50. So this will cost them in a big final, I can almost guarantee. They really, really need to start working this corridor. They tidied up in round 11, but we'll get to that. Ben Brown's brief return after being dropped last week was ruined by injury, as you mentioned. And North Melbourne's woes continue. Geelong beating them 12-12-90 to 9-3-57. This was probably always going to be the best part of the four games in 14 days for Geelong. They lost to West Coast. They had this. And then they've got St Kilda and Port Adelaide over the next week. Really clinical from the Cats. Four goals from Grind Myers. Probably his best game for Geelong. Melbourne's fixture has helped them get back on track. Firstly, with a 13-goal 10-88 defeat of Adelaide Crows. Five goal 7-37. But the biggest news... Well... Ugly story again with injuries. Yeah, so Adelaide continue to look rubbish. We've been wanting some fight out of them, but when they finally did, it looks like they got it all wrong. Ned McHenry, how was he going after Max Gorn's shoulder? Absolutely disgraceful. There were times when he would U-turn and run 70 metres just to go and give Maxie a little hit in the shoulder. Oh, one in particular was absolutely shocking. I mean, we gave Jake Carlisle grief for going after Dane Rampey's injured hand. And that was not in a contest, but it was within a couple well, of Well, it was only one occasion versus the entire game at various intervals. Yep. And, you know, again, I'm conflicted. You know, if you play with injury, it's a risk. 
But what, I mean, what he was doing was just out of control. That particularly running from like 100 metres away just to have a bit of a dig. It's just ugly. And Adelaide, where is their head at, really? Mm. That's not winning footy. Well, speaking of not winning footy, they've now lost their last two games to Melbourne and North Melbourne, who at the time they played them were not doing particularly well by a combined 120 points. And now they're 0-10. Yeah, exactly. So double figure losses. It's. I think it was only. I, I can't remember. I, I had a look at this, but unfortunately, my other laptop packed it in. But I think there's only been three times since about 1990 that it's happened. Frio have done it twice, uh, and I can't remember who else. Oh, sorry. No, Gold Coast and GWS. Right. So obviously, we know what Gold Coast and GWS have done. We know what Fremantle have done. So every one of those seasons, they those teams won a game. I'm not sure. I, I know I said last week that Adelaide will win a game. I might be doing a 180 on this one. Yep. Um, Colin it's hard would, to see it coming. Collingwood actually looked like the best chance of them winning a game this year. Yeah, well, that's not that doesn't bode well, does it? It doesn't. Speaking of Collingwood, in a weird way, inaccuracy maybe got him over the line. Six goals, 14-50, defeating the Swans. Six goals, 5-41. Yeah, well, I guess the Swans' accuracy kept them in the game early as well. Yeah, I, mean, I know true. at one stage, Collingwood had a mountain of behinds, and, and Sydney, I think, kicked five goals straight to start the game, but... Probably two key talking points to this one. The first being that comical dive from Tom Papley in the fourth quarter. As a Swans fan, what are your thoughts? Oh, look, diving's becoming increasingly problematic in sports across the board, I've got to say. And I'm really not a fan at all. I'm not going to defend it. I mean, he, he did. He took a big dive. There's no other way to put it. Natural justice that he missed? Oh, of course. Yeah, no, absolutely it was. Is and it proper natural justice that they got a steal off the, uh, off the kick in and kicked a goal, though? Well, <laughs> you know, no, sorry. You've, you've still got to, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't actually see the game. I listened on the radio because I was at work. It was only at 3 p.m. Perth time. But, you know, I, I remember, I think it was the Spurs 76ers game where Embiid like took this horrible dive as if he'd been shot. As I say, it's creeping into sport far too much. I just don't like seeing it. That doesn't sound like Joel Embiid at yeah, all. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll get to NBA. Yeah. <laughs> so probably the second one, the issue with Sam Wicks's boots. Which the Swans have actually admitted it was a hybrid mix of plastic and metal spikes. It left a huge hole in Isaac Quain. I was like, I haven't seen a gash like that since I was in. No, oh, we don't need to go there, should we? Well, don't worry, I didn't either. <laughs> but no, look, I mean, what do you think about the Swans getting off scot free there? Oh, absolutely in the news for the wrong reasons. They should have. They, no, there's got to be a penalty there. There's got to be a penalty because a bloke's season is done because of it. So yeah, that's that's a really horrible oversight. That's it's not a good look at and all. Not a great start to Sam Wicks' career as well. No, it's terrible. Well. It's terrible. Oh, there were some good starts to careers. A couple of blokes for both teams kicking goals on Dubu, so that was nice. True. But yeah, no, they there definitely should have been punishment there. Definitely. And then finally for round number ten, Stewie. Well, the horrible story to come out of this one was Callan Ward received death threats after the Giants eight goals eleven fifty nine eked past Essen and eight seven fifty five. Yeah, this one was actually nearly game of the round for me. But uh, yeah, really, really gutty win for the Giants after looking down and out at one stage in this game. They kicked six of the last seven goals. Two to Heath Shaw, which is unusual. He doesn't <laughs> yes, kick too many yes. goals. But yeah, going back to the these death threats with Callum Ward. Look, I personally, I think he did take a bit of a dive. It's maybe not the right sort of phrase, but he really exaggerated contact. To- oh, look, I look, I didn't think it was too bad. I think Essendon choked. They shouldn't be sending death threats to Callum Ward. They should be pissed off at their own players because yep. they choked that game away. So they got no one to blame but themselves. You shouldn't be sending death threats to anyone. I mean, at the end of the day, as much as we love our footy and as much as we like to pretend that it's more than life and death, like it's a game of footy. 
yeah, this bloke's life should not yeah. should not be under threat because of the fact that I mean he got hit. He just didn't get hit that hard. And you could argue that that happens quite a lot across the game. Oh, so of course. To be talking about death threats, I mean, that's just absurd. Yeah. I, I mean, people forget these are real human beings sometimes. Mm. Round 11 was kicked off. Apparently, game of the season, according to AFL.com.au. The margin wouldn't suggest that. As I say, I didn't see it myself. Port, 13 goals, 15, 93, defeated Richmond, 11 goals, 672. Yeah, maybe game of the round. It's definitely game of the day. You could say that, being, being the only game. But, uh, but no, look, this, look, it was a really quick game in terms of the movement of the ball. The pressure levels were absolutely through the roof. A real statement game for Port Adelaide beating Richmond, who were in some very good form, I must say. So we have a contender for probably the worst free kick of the season. Dustin Martin, two hands right into the back of his defender and shoves him into Jack Rewalt's leg, and Jack gets the free kick and kicks a goal. Oh, free kick, Richmond. Absolutely disgusting. But did you see Josh Caddy's brain fade? Oh, yes. And Hardwick was not too happy in the coach's box. No. <laughs> Get the F out of the way, Josh, yeah. you dumb C. Yeah, yeah. I know this is marked explicit, but even I draw the line at dropping the C bomb. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the umpire didn't even need to tell him to get out of the way. Probably told him two or three times before he blew it up. It's, wow, yeah. I would not have wanted to be in that locker room afterwards if I was Josh Caddy. That would have been horrible. Brisbane didn't have too long, in fact, less than four days to dwell on their loss to Richmond, defeating the Dogs 14-12-96 to 11-6-72. So they steadied the ship quickly. Yeah, what a difference straightish goal kicking makes. You know, we spoke about how they had one of the worst kicking games of the season. Eric Hipwood kicks five goals one, shows glimpses of why people think he could potentially be an All-Australian. All it takes is straight goal kicking in this, in this day, especially in this season. Zach Fisher's four out of Carlton's seven goals are light for them, but not enough to get over the line. Seven goals, 8.50 in defeat to the West Coast Eagles. 11 goals, 6.72. Yes, that's right. If you're paying attention, third game of the round, third game of the round to include a scoreline of 11 goals, 6.72. Isn't this the spotlight game for the round? <laughs> not this week, Stewie. No, no, unfortunately not. But look, really decent game plan from the Blues. They played a real high-risk, high-reward trap, and it locked the ball in the Eagles' back line for much of the first half. It was always a case of as soon as the Eagles got over the back, though, it was going to lead to easy scores. And you saw guys like Kennedy and Darling and Waterman all taking very easy, not uncontested, but very easy contested marks, I guess. They spread their goal kicking well as well. They really did. Nick Nat, brilliant again, absolutely dominating in the ruck. But unfortunately, the talking point from this game for me, does Luke Shuey get a week for his careless trip? Uh, it, it looked intentional to me. I think he definitely should. Absolutely. Thank God we've got Hawthorne next. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, we watched them tonight. We'll talk about that in a second. As I said, Melbourne's fixture opened up for them. They got another win. 13 goals, 14-92 in a defeat of North Melbourne, 5-5-35. So Melbourne have squared the ledger and they're on the brink of, of the top eight. Should we overreact to this and say that Melbourne are going to make the grand final? <laughs> no. No. Okay, then. <laughs> And in today's games, just happened in the last few hours. The Cats are into third after 14-9-93, defeating the Saints 4-10-34. So the Saints have fallen off the perch a little there. Yeah, we didn't get a chance to see this one, but from all accounts, Geelong well and truly flexed their muscles. They held St Kilda to four points in the second half while kicking seven for themselves. So a very, very dominant performance by the Cats. And they've basically flipped from being, from being fifth to third, and St Kilda have gone from third to fifth. 
Ah, trade places. And then finally in the game we did watch tonight, Andrew Brayshaw had a career high of 33 touches in the Dockers. 7 goals, 6.48. Defeat of the Hawks, 4 goals, 8.32. Yeah, Freo brought the heat around the contest in this game. Hawthorne just never responded. They look absolutely dead in the water. And as I mentioned before, it's absolutely perfect timing with West Coast having them next week. <laughs> Quick little cricket roundup, Shuey. Yeah. Uh, England's summer of cricket continues. They're compacting a schedule, I tell you what. They've already completed the first test against Pakistan. Pakistan, 326 in the first innings. Maksud with 156. Broad and Archer with three wickets apiece. England in response, 219 with Pope, 62. And Shah with a forfa. Pakistan then stumbled in their second innings with only 169, meaning that England needed 277 to win. Works had 84 not out, leading to a man-of-the-match effort. Shah with another forfa, eight for the match. Yeah, look, England were a little bit lucky to get out of this. If we fast-forward straight through to the fourth innings in this, England was struggling, 5 for 117, and all it was going to take was one more wicket, and the floodgates probably open up and the game's over. But magical 139-run partnership between Chris Wokes, who you mentioned was the man of the match, and definitely the best choice as English wicketkeeper Joss Butler. <laughs> they, they got England over the line. I mean, by the time Butler lost his wicket, they only needed a, a handful of runs to go, and, and unfortunately for Pakistan, it was it was over. Yasir Shah bowled really, really well, as you did mention, four for in both innings, but they absolutely wasted that 156-run knock from Shah Massoud. A couple of little interesting stats for you, though. This was only the third time that a team's ever chased down 200 runs in the fourth innings of a test at Old Trafford. Hmm. Also the first time in six series that England have won the opening test. Ah, yes, and we've talked about those stats. Yeah, and Pakistan actually haven't lost a test series to England since 2010. Wow. So they've probably got their work cut out for them right now as a result yeah, of that. Yeah, we'll see. One thing I will just mention, look, you said Joffrey Archer took three in the first innings. Didn't do so well in the second innings. He took one, but he only bowled 6.4 overs. So he wasn't too bad, but he wasn't too great. And Joe Root reminded us afterwards that we've got to understand that he has a bigger package to offer. <laughs> Lucky bastard. <laughs> just stay away from him in the change rooms. <laughs> oh, dear. And now... This week in sport history. Great week of sports history here. So we'll start off on the 4th of August, 1982. Outfielder Joel Youngblood becomes the only Major League player to get hits for two different teams in two different cities on the same day. Nuts. He singled for the Mets in Chicago for the day game. Then he was traded and singled for the Expos in Philadelphia in the night game. Something that'll probably never happen again. Well, the benefit of close geography meant that he could play both games in the same day. It does help. Wow. On the 6th of August in 1997, Sri Lanka slams a world record 6 for 952 in the first test against India in Colombo, behind 340 from Sanath Jayasuriya and 225 from Roshan Mahanama, for a then-record partnership of 576, which, by the way, was broken in 2006 when Sangakkara and Jaya Wardner combined for 624 against South Africa. After India made 8 for 537 in their first innings, there's... No surprise that this match ended in a draw. They didn't even get to the second innings. Yeah, well. Sticking with cricket, on the 7th of August 2005, in one of cricket history's closest tests, and despite a brave unbeaten 43 from Australian tailender Brett Lee, England sneaks a two-run win in a series-turning second test at Edgbaston. I was in Switzerland for that test, and it absolutely ruined my day. Definitely the most of any Ashes I've ever watched. I watched so much of that series, it's not funny, and you're pretty... uh... 
you have a lot of time on your hands when you're a uni student. So I did enjoy that. Uh, and the time difference actually meant that it's easier to watch than sometimes during the day if you do have day commitments. Uh, wow, what a series. We're going to have to talk about that sometime because that was an absolute cracker. Is that the game where Casper got... He gloved one down leg Yeah, side. but what, isn't the rule technically if your hand isn't on the bat, then you can't be oh, out yeah. gloved? Yeah. So that was, that was controversial, if I'm not mistaken. Well, I'm, I'm holding up the tea. Yes, we want indeed. to review it. Yeah. 8th of August 1992, the original US Dream Team wins the basketball gold at the Barcelona Olympics 117-85 to over Croatia. It, of course, featured superstars Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Scottie Pippen, Charles Barkley, and I'll say David Robinson as a Spurs fan. And Christian Leitner. Yes, college. The the often forgotten dream teamer. Yes. But, uh, the greatest team of all time in any sport, as far as I'm concerned. It, it will not be beaten. I will say this, though. Tony Kukoc showed a lot for Croatia in that game. I actually remember watching that game. It's covered a, really well in the last dance. It, it is. Yeah. And he yeah. gained a lot of respect. Yeah, no, no. He, he was excellent. But, yeah, I remember as an eight-year-old getting up super-duper early and watching that. It was, well, super early, super late. I don't know what. It was, it was a horrible time. I remember that. So, And moving back to baseball, on the 10th of August 1995, the Los Angeles Dodgers, leading 2-1 in the ninth inning, forfeit a game to the St. Louis Cardinals after fans become unruly and throw souvenir baseballs onto the field three separate times. It was the first time a team had forfeited a game since July 12, 1979, another game we've spoken about, when a second game of a doubleheader between Detroit and Chicago was called off after fans smashed disco records all over the field. Uh, The moral there is don't give out projectiles. Don't give out anything. (laughs) (laughs) Just nothing at all. This week in sport history. Very quick NBL free agency update before we continue on the NBA extravaganza, Stewie. Yeah, probably a slightly bigger week than last week. So we'll start off up in the far north with the Cairns Taipans. They've re-signed Jared Kenny to a one-year deal, so keeping him as the backup point guard. The New Zealand Breakers. The price tag for Scotty Hobson was too high, unfortunately, for them. So the Breakers have released him. But they've replaced him with an absolute stud by luring former Brisbane Bullets and All-NBL first-team player Lamar Patterson across the ditch on a one-year deal. And you add them to the Webster brothers, they have a really dangerous team now. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's not a bad uh, consolation prize. Definitely. Yeah, Brisbane will be spewing they lost Lamar Patterson. They will. Over here in the West, Perth Wildcats have signed backup point guard Kevin White to a one-year deal after he left Adelaide. And after being largely responsible for getting Joey Wright out of the league, he's sure to become a cult hero in Perth. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, no, we'll take him. Oh, definitely. Look, he's he's going to step into Mitch Norton's role, and Mitch Norton will step into Damian Martin's role. Pretty so much, yeah. Works out fairly well. Yep. Now, the Hawks, they've had a couple of signings this week. So they signed Cam Bairstow to a one-year deal from Retas Vilnius in Lithuania. I've actually been to Vilnius. Absolutely stunning little town. He, of course, played in the NBA as well. He did. And it's very, so it's a good pickup. It's easy to forget. He's only 29. Wow. Like it seems that with his NBA experience and whatnot, he should be at least two or three years older. So he'll slot into the starting power forward position and give the Hawks someone who can play with the bench unit. Absolutely. And he doesn't need a lot of the ball when he's playing with the likes of Dang Adele. Um, they also added an athletic youngster named Max Darling on a three-year deal from some ridiculously unpronounceable club in Croatia. Mm. It's about 15 syllables long or something. So yeah, the Hawks are, again, they're starting to look really good. They could go from cellar dwellers to, oh, absolutely. to it's, Cinderella's, it's, really. It's, so. it's just chemistry experiments now. If they can get their chemistry right, Jeez, they might even be the team to beat. Definitely. Should move across to America now, I guess. 
Yeah, so let's bookend some of the on-court stuff with some of the nice random observations, shall we? So a few kind of thoughts on the bobble. We've seen a few more virtual fans in the stands. We've seen more names on shirts and all that sort of thing. I don't know if you saw, but someone had a goat on I their lap. I did lap. see that. I think it was, was it the Pelicans it was Nuggets? New, yeah, yeah, it was New Orleans and uh, one Nuggets, of, one, I think. One of them, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't know for sure, but yeah. What the hell? That was weird. I think it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Because we've seen so many people with their dogs and yep. and that sort of thing. Good on somebody for upping the ante and saying, right, who's next? What are we going to see? A shark or, yep. I don't know, a Tyrannodon or something, something ridiculous. Uh, but Frank Vogel's daughter was, was there as well for the Indiana-LA game, which was kind of cool. He, of course, coached Indiana Both, to... Yeah. Two two very good teams that nearly toppled the uh, The not three, not four Miami Heat. And then now, of course, coaching with the Lakers. We've seen a cutout of your man, Stephen Adams. Uh, We've, who else, what else have we seen? We've seen some interesting virtual fans. I saw James Harden watching his own game today. Oh, okay. Yep, good. So good. there's there's been some crackers out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. The only, I mean, look, it definitely beats the AFL as far as virtual fans are concerned. Do you, have you noticed? Actually, they didn't have them tonight, did they? No, they didn't. So it's a Channel Seven thing. It must have been a Foxtel game. But you know how they've got like the Brady Bunch, like they've got the three, three, and three. Oh yeah. And sometimes in a blowout, I've seen in a game where an entire row of three was just the Hawks logo. Yeah. Because clearly the fans have just put the cue in the rack and aren't watching. Or, or you'll see them so you go woohoo. Yeah, it's yay. not a good look. It's, it's not, not a good yeah. look. It's disappointing when there's empty virtual seats in the NBA, for example. But that uh, Lakers Pacers game was packed out with virtual fans. So that was a good one. We will we will come to that game more as well. Now, the names on the shirts is another thing I wanted to talk about, Stewie. Go for it. Now, look, I think it's a wonderful idea. And we've got some wonderful messages like Black Lives Matter and equality and all those sort of things. But a couple of things that I've noticed, maybe it's unintended consequences. I, I don't know what it is. For starters, I noticed that Paul Millsap had the word vote as his. Now, that's a great message. People should be going out to vote. It's not compulsory in the States. But he wears number four. So it said, vote for Millsap. Ah, so we could see him in yeah, appearing yeah. in the 2020 yeah. election. That and it made nice. me think, now I don't know if there are any players wearing number one that has it, but vote one, you know. So TJ Warren, for example, I think he has equality. But let's say he had vote. It would be vote one Warren, for example. Mm. So that's a weird wrinkle. And then the other one, the other one. Now, look, I, I don't know if it's years of listening to heavy metal. I don't know what it is. But because of the lack of hyphen in the word anti-racist, on multiple occasions, my brain has read that as anti-Christ. Oh dear. <laughs> and I won't mention any player names because none of them are, of course. Well, but not, uh, not, not that we know of anyway. Yeah, yeah. I think there should be a hyphen. I wish there was a hyphen in that one. Yeah. Uh, Lewis Roberts Thompson. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. No, that's a very good point. Look, I do love the names on shirts and I love the fact that the league is embracing the multiculturalism of the league by having... Slovenian on Luka Doncic's and having Italian on Danilo Gallinari's and so on and so forth. I think it's brilliant having having those translations in there. Um, something that adds a little bit more intrigue to what it's all about and it, and it gets people talking about it. But yeah, I must admit, you, you probably don't want them spreading the, the, the Antichrist message. Yeah, well... <laughs> Oh, look, it's probably no one else that have picked that. But I'm sure that other people have picked vote for Millsap up. Yeah, I'll vote for him. I wonder what his views would be on playoff reform. Mm. 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 (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. Nah, you're all good. Uh, So I guess in the play-in races, we can draw a line through some teams officially today. Washington, New Orleans and Sacramento have all been officially eliminated from the playoff contention. 
And although they're 5-0 and already, if Phoenix lose tomorrow, they probably will be. And if the Spurs lose in a couple of days to Houston, they probably will be too. So it's almost certainly looking like Portland-Memphis in a play-in game. I'm not sure about that, to be oh, honest. Okay. Well, Memphis are only a game ahead of the Spurs. True. So and We've that, got Houston and Utah coming up. You, well, you beat Utah yesterday. Yeah. yeah. And So you, you just never know. And let's just say Memphis don't exactly have the easiest games. I think they've got Dallas and Brooklyn. Brooklyn are playing good ball right well, now. Well, they've got Boston too. And the interesting thing no, about got, that sorry, game... Sorry, I tell a lie. They've got Boston and Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah the, the interesting thing about that game is Boston want to win that game. Boston want to keep... Memphis as low as possible because of draft implications, the protected picks and such. There you go. So Boston will come out to play that one. So yeah, okay, maybe. So Boston-Milwaukee. So that could very easily see Memphis lose both of those. And then, look, I don't know what the tiebreakers are between the Spurs and the Grizzlies. No, I don't either. But we could very easily see Portland and San Antonio. Possibly. Possibly. Uh, I just wish we didn't drop that 76ers game. Yeah. Look, that was a terrible one to lose. And so, yeah, you mentioned Phoenix. They have they do have a, a tough draw. They've got three games in three days, but you never know. I mean, they have the best record in the bubble at 5-0. and I think them and Toronto are the only undefeated teams in the bubble so far. Oklahoma City, look, you'd expect Oklahoma City to win, but Phoenix are actually favoured in that game. So I don't know whether maybe Stephen Adams isn't playing. Then they've got Philadelphia, who we already know are struggling a little bit with injuries. And, and then Dallas. And then Dallas, yeah. who kind of have the seventh seed locked in. So they may rest Kristaps Porzingis, Luka Doncic. So it's conceivable that Phoenix could actually run the table there and go 8-0. Isn't that funny? Everyone, like there's a reason they play the games. Everyone drew a line through them. Everyone said yep. they probably shouldn't come back. I think I even myself. Oh, I this. did as well. Yeah. So so that's really fascinating, isn't it? It is. So, um, and, and so this time next week, we'll be on the doorstep of the playoffs. So we'll do a nice little playoff preview. Can we draw a line through anyone else? I'm going to segue into injuries. I think we can draw a line through the 76ers. Oh, yeah, Philly are done. I mean, obviously they qualify, but, but Simmons out. They could the be out first round. Well, there's a very strong possibility they get swept. Because wow. I mean, who are they going to get? They'll probably end up in the sixth seed. So the likelihood is they'll get the Celtics. Boston, yeah. And the Celtics would sweep them. Yeah. Because with yeah, no Simmons there. Joel Embiid may not be the same. Uh, I don't know what he, he did an ankle today, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, he's he's even if Embiid's healthy, Philly don't have a lot of ball handlers, and with Simmons gone, there's not a lot of playmaking on that team. I've actually watched nearly all their games in the bubble. I, I feel sorry for Brett Brown. That must be a bloody hard team to coach. There's clear uh, division between Simmons and Embiid. They just don't seem to work. The Horford experiment hasn't worked entirely. They have a lack of playmakers, as I say. Embiid does stupid things like dribble up the court and decide to pull up and shoot a three every now and then like he doesn't get enough touches in a game and can't get automatic twos down low in the post. Jeez. Yeah, I, I, I think Philly might get blown up in the offseason. Yep. I guess we can also probably draw a line through Memphis with Jaron Jackson Jr. out for the season. Yeah, probably. What do you think about Morant? He was saying that Memphis were hard done by heading into the bubble because they were sitting in eighth seed at that spot and, and didn't think there should have been seeding games. What do you think there? Why not? How do you make it fair? Well, exactly. And this is... I'm surprised. I've heard a lot of talking heads. The the blokes on PTI, for example, have... Uh, look, uh, maybe they just didn't want non-playoffs, but they, they thought that Memphis should have qualified. But there was still nearly a quarter of the season left. Yeah. You know, like... Okay, I know we like all playing if playoffs started to get today game, 
But not only was there nearly a quarter of the season left, the Spurs had played three games less than them, for example. So not e- teams hadn't even played the same amount of games. So they had to do this. And clearly, the way Phoenix is going, teams do come home with a wet sail. And the way Portland have come home as well. Yep, yep. So, I mean, obviously, they've got the benefit of Nurkic coming back. But yeah. And Zach Collins. But yeah, yeah, and Collins I, too, yeah. I think, yeah, I, I definitely don't think that they were hard done by. It, it's a shame that there's a... Really strong possibility that we may see the playoffs without Morant or Williamson. Um, the fact, obviously, with New Orleans being done today. so Well, they're rookies. They, they will have their time. But yeah, I think the bubble was kind of set up that it was supposed to kind of be Memphis and New Orleans in this play-in game. Yes. It was meant to happen. Yes. New Orleans stuffed it up by doing the, the minutes restriction for, for Zion and then proceeding to play like crap. Basically. He's still looking far too heavy. Mm. Rumours of his body reform in the break yeah, are vastly overrated. I did not see it. He, and yeah, he needs to lose weight. He does. He's an injury waiting to happen. And then probably the biggest injury to come out of the whole thing, my man Jamal Crawford. Ah, oh, you can't get your can't get my prediction. can't get his forty. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think he did a did a hamstring, so that actually could be the end of his career because he's forty. So well, that's a decent point. That so, is a very decent point. So it's, it could potentially be another one of these players who goes out with a whimper with a, a disappointing sort of injury. So, yeah, some, some big injuries, and hopefully that's the last of them, but I, I won't be surprised if we see another couple this week. Now, between us, I think we've watched a hell of a lot of games, and the great thing about Fetch is they have these little things called NBA minis. So I've watched uh, several full games, but I've also watched a couple of kind of compacted half-hour games too, which has been good. We thought we'd spotlight a couple of games to absolute crackers yesterday. Firstly, Nuggets and Jazz, and then Lakers Pacers. Nuggets and Jazz was (laughs) quite an astonishing game, really. So... Believe it or not, Denver and Utah came into the game with the exact same amount of points on the season, and they didn't want that to change because they were still tied after regulation, and they were still tied after OT1. They needed two overtimes to decide it. Donovan Mitchell was magnificent, hitting crazy shots left, right, and center. He took it to the rack in regulation to force OT. He hit a lovely little free throw jumper on Doja to go ahead with 3.4 seconds left in OT1, and then absolute chaos ensued. So, in something that I don't know if I've ever seen, and and you'll have to tell me if you have, the Nuggets had 3.4 seconds left to try and force a second overtime. They had an inbounds pass. It was a great little play to Jokic. He took it baseline, scored. However, they forgot to start the clock. So, in this case, rather than replaying, thank God wiser heads prevailed. So, what they actually did, and they had a good explanation on TNT, they talked to the lead official who explained what happened basically they had a digital clock right next to the minute the ball went in bounds and touched Jokic's hands and they worked out that he scored within 3.1 seconds meaning there was 0.3 seconds left for Utah to try and win in OT1 now that's not a hell of a lot of time but it can be done if you can get a pass right above the rim and a quick tap now another bizarre thing again I don't think I've ever seen it they threw the pass and this time probably because of what happened at the end of the previous play, they were too quick on the trigger finger with the clock and they actually hit start on the clock before the ball was even touched. And so they had to replay that pass. So Utah did actually get two bites of the cherry to try and get a score, but they didn't. And eventually Denver won in overtime. Jamal Murray hit several tough shots down the stretch. He looked incredibly gassed. And and at one stage I'm thinking, geez, you got it. 
Malone, you've almost got to take him out of the game. And then he'd continually show why he didn't take him out of the game because he hit a couple of really crazy shots. But he was just coming off a hamstring injury himself. And he did leave the door open because he missed two free throws at the end. And Donovan Mitchell missed a half-court heave uh, on the buzzer because Utah had run out of timeouts. I don't think he actually got the shot up in time. Yeah, probably didn't actually. Yeah, because he kind of fumbled and spun. and mm. Yeah, yeah. But what a crazy end to the game. Have you ever seen an ending like that before? I think the closest I've ever seen, there was a Memphis-Sacramento game, I think it was, uh, back when Vince Carter was playing with Memphis. And there was about three-tenths of a second left, and he threw an inbounds pass into Courtney Lee, who was going up for a sort of a catch-and-reverse layup sort of situation. And to this day, I am convinced that the inbounder touched the ball, but the clock never started. And Memphis were then awarded the win. So I, I can't remember who the inbounder or the guy who was guarding the inbound was, but I just that's the closest I can remember where there was a situation where they probably should have started the clock, but they didn't. So, but no, I've never seen anything as crazy as that. That was that was a nuts game. It was it was it was an amazing game. Jokic was magnificent in the first overtime. Murray was magnificent in the second. Joe Ingles, Aussie Joe Ingles, we've got to give him a mention. He was really good in the first overtime. Unfortunately, he had a couple of errors in the second overtime, but he played quite a good game and he's had a decent time in the bubble. His wife, Renee, convinced him to play. She's a professional athlete in her own right as a netballer. And she convinced him to get his shit together in the break and, and get into shape and play because initially there was some thought that he might not. Um, but I, I, that, I'm glad Denver won that game. It felt like natural justice to me because I'll tell you what, Utah got so many calls down the stretch. And uh, Mike Conley, talking of flopping and, and exaggerating contact... Both Connolly and Mitchell benefited from calls where... On one of them, I don't think there was any contact at all, let alone exaggerated contact. And then in in overtime one, it actually felt like the refs went into catch-up mode a little bit because Denver raced out to a six-point lead in the OT and Murray took it to the rack and it would have been called a foul at any other stage of the game, I'm convinced. And, okay, sure, he missed those two at the end, but he probably would have hit one or two and it probably would have been an eight-point game and game over. But no, no call. Then Utah managed to claw their way back into the game and, as I say, they themselves nearly won it in their own right. So I'm glad that the result ended the way it did, but, yeah, that's been game of the bubble so far for me. I wouldn't disagree with you on that one, to be honest. Uh, There was another very good game that day, though, the Los Angeles Lakers and Indiana Pacers. So the Pacers got home 116-111 in this game, and we saw the continued emergence of TJ Warren as a legitimate all-star caliber sort of player. Oh, yes. Now, he'd just come off a, a fairly quiet game, ironically against the team that had traded him in the Phoenix Suns, but the previous three games, and I believe the first three games they played in the bubble... Well, I've got his numbers, if you like. Yeah, go for it. 53... 34, 32, 16, and 39. Perfect. And I got to see that 53-point game, by the way, and it was incredible because if I'm not mistaken, he was on 36 with about eight and a half minutes left and them down 10, and he ended up with 53 and they won. So in terms of the amount of pull-up threes that he's hit you know, off the dribble, in the bubble, I think they've said he's hit maybe one or two less in these few games than he has in his entire career. Wow. It's, it's yeah. like the bubbles just kind of clicked and all of a sudden he's this... Yeah, yeah it's incredible, player. isn't it? And, and speaking of Denver, Porter Jr. for Denver's played very well too in yeah. the bubble. Yeah. Look, I think most people knew that Porter Jr. had this in him, but I don't think people saw Warren as being this yeah, MVP caliber player. There were the first three games that they played, and you rattled off his, his numbers there, he combined for 119 points. 
That is equal for the Indiana Pacers team record for the most points in a three-game span with Jermaine O'Neal. And we've already talked about the great players they've had over the years. Exactly. So we don't need to sort of go through that again. He almost looks like Jermaine O'Neal sometimes, actually. Maybe, yeah, a little bit facially. And, yeah. and I guess sometimes if he has, he has the yeah. cornrows going yeah. as well. So, yeah, I think one of the interesting things for me, though, wasn't so much to do with uh, with the Pacers. And I, I will say, though, just quickly... Some of the shots that Warren is taking as well, these are the sorts of things that MVP caliber players, you know, you're talking about a two-point game and he's coming off off a screen launching a three over Anthony Davis. Mm. And it doesn't, as soon as it leaves the hand, it just never looks like it's going to miss. Oh, no one wants to play Indiana in the first round. No, no well, that's one. it. It's gone from... Even though Sabonis isn't playing, and no I- one wants to play Indiana. And unfortunately, I missed the first quarter because... The Nuggets Jazz game went so long. Of course. That I, I think ESPN got to about seven minutes left in the second. So unfortunately, I missed the first because he had 18 in the first as well. Yep. But no, as I said, I think the thing that interested me the most about this was kind of what happened in the fourth quarter with the Lakers. So look, LeBron had a good game 31 points, eight rebounds, seven assists. But what I found really curious was in the, the final minutes where we're talking about a one possession game. Usually with LeBron isolated up the top. Now, he was going up against Warren. In that position, he would be taking it to the rack every single time. He was passing off to guys like Quinn Cook. Now, Cook had a really good game. He really did 21, if I'm not mistaken, several three-pointers. 21 points, 5 of 9 from the three-point line. But if we go all the way back, though, to his days, the early days with Cleveland as well. The first run. The very Yeah, the very first run. There was a series, and I can't remember who they were playing against, but LeBron copped so much flack because there was a game where, it was, I think it was a two-point game, and he passed out to Doniel Marshall to take the game-winning three. LeBron copped so much flack for passing the ball instead of taking it to the rack and scoring. And it amazes me that it hasn't really come out. And LeBron actually looked a little bit hesitant, and, and it was almost like he was trying to set up a scenario where... Right, we're down by six points with a few seconds left. I mean, <laughs> that quarter three was nuts. Yeah, I mean, he hits a crazy yeah. fadeaway three to bring him nuts. back to, to three points. But it was it was almost like they were trying to manufacture a scenario that they could face in the playoffs. I wouldn't put it past him to try and get his players playoff ready. But he did miss the last game with a groin. So if his movement was limited a little, maybe he won't take it to the rack as mm, much. True. I mean, if you look at some of the other guys, I mean, Anthony Davis only had eight points on three of 14. So oh, he had a shocker. Didn't really get much help there. Davis had a shocker. To, to know that Davis was outscored by Dwight Howard. He was outscored by, you know, Horton Tucker. Howard looked good, man. I think Howard looked really good. How, Howard looked like one of those guys that could play to 42. He's still incredibly mobile. He's in great shape. Well, he looked fantastic. Look, at the time when they had their full squad, I said that he was potentially the X Factor that would get them over the line. So, time will tell. They really do miss Rondo, though. Oh, yeah. They really miss that secondary ball handler. Yeah. You know, Caruso and, and Caldwell Pope and Quinn Cook and a few of these other guys are trying to do that. But, yeah, it's, it's putting a lot of pressure on LeBron. You know, the Lakers all of a sudden look a little bit sort of shaky. And I would actually say that of all the teams, and I'll get your thoughts on this in a second in terms of a question without notice, I would say that the two teams I'm actually scared of the most are the Houston Rockets and the Portland Trailblazers. Portland, yes. Houston, uh, until small ball proves a winning formula in the playoffs, I'm going to assume it's not. So oh. prove me wrong, Houston. I think teams with decent bigs should handle them in a four-game series. But who's got a decent big now? 
Well, the Lakers have Anthony Davis. The Nuggets have Jokic. Utah have good big guys. Uh, you know, there's there's several teams that, that. I don't think Jokic is as, as he's not as big as he used to be. So yeah. I, don't think, I don't think he's got quite the same advantage. PJ Tucker. Portland is, have big guys. You know. Yeah. Look, there are teams that that can certainly do that. But I think the way that Houston are playing this, and I will say this: when Houston played the Lakers earlier in the week. They just crowded Anthony Davis and said, you know what, someone someone else beat us. If you guys can hit open threes, and I think teams are going to have to hit a lot of threes against Houston to beat them in a seven-game series. I think teams will crowd Harden more in the playoffs than they do in the regular season too, though. But Houston have got shooters everywhere. Oh, they do. They do. Everywhere. Yeah, they do. They and, do. And, and this is why I'm, I'm actually kind of coming around to it, is that you've got Westbrook and you've got Harden, who are two guys that can beat almost anyone off the dribble. And when they get into those lanes, for the most part, they make good decisions. Winning a playoff series when you're minus 20 on the boards, I'll believe it when I see it. Put Look, it that and way. Y- and you know what? Fair enough to be sceptical. I'm actually very scared of playing Houston, and it's looking like OKC will. So I think it's going to be a tough out, and I'm, I'm hoping that Stephen Adams will be a beast in that series, but we will see. Well, it's funny you mentioned that with the seeding, Stewie, because that 4-5-6 position is really up in the air. Pretty much nothing separates those three teams, so that could change in the next week anyway. So it will be interesting. Hmm. So I know we're probably going to finish on this this Damian Lillard versus the LA Clippers Twitter feud, but I just want to quickly mention one part of Luka Doncic's insanity. So he's been playing really well in the bubble, and part of the reason that Dallas have looked as good as they have. But if only they could finish games. If only. But uh, Luka had the fourth 30-20-10 game oh, yes. since the NBA-ABA merger. So Jokic earlier in the season, DeMarcus Cousins in 2018, I believe, and I think 2010 was uh, was when Mr. Lee from the New York Knicks... Oh, David was, Lee. Yeah, so three guys to do. He's the youngest player ever to do that, including going back to the ABA days as well. Um, so Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and I think Oscar Robertson had the record. Mm. So Doncic has now gone ahead of them. And he very nearly did it again today. So the, the first game was a was a 30-20 rebound 10 assist game. But he nearly had a 30-20 assist game wow. with 10 rebounds. So he had 19 assists uh, in their last game as well. So Luca's playing out of his mind right now. And I think if, if there's anyone in the league that you could say the team goes as he goes, Luca's probably up there in maybe the top two or three. The scary thing is how young he is. There's so much good youth in the league. We might talk about that more. As you mentioned, mate, one more thing to just finish was the Damian Lillard little Clippers feud. He uncharacteristically missed several shots down the stretch in a loss to the Clippers on, I think it was Saturday, and Patrick Beverly sure gave him some stick. Yeah, you could see, because I know Lillard missed a couple of free throws late. And yep. You could see after the first one missed, Patrick Beverly acting a fool on the, the sidelines, you know, almost falling over backwards. And uh, They got into it very, very quickly on, on Twitter. And uh, I think the first thing that, that Pat Beverly, I think what he come up with, Cancun on three, basically saying that, yeah, there's no way that they're not going on, on holidays fairly soon. I don't know, Paul George stupidly came in afterwards and, and had a go. Lillard very quickly fired back and reminded Pat Beverly of the three he hit against Houston to knock them out. Yes, indeed. And unfortunately for me as well, he reminded us of the, the crazy 37-footer he hit to, to knock OKC out of the playoffs last year. You know, Dame's got some crazy skills, and I, and I don't think he's the sort of guy you want to piss off. No, well, he had 51 today to back it up, so clearly uh, red rag to the ball there. And he also became the only player in NBA history with a 45-point, 10-assist, 10 10-3-pointer 10 game. Ah, that's a good stat. So that was something that I, I found out today. Yeah. So but yeah, the, the wives and girlfriends are getting in on this. Like, it's become a big feud. It's playoffs before playoffs, isn't it? It is, and, and I tell you what, there's some of the stuff is, is getting very personal. I believe Paul George's baby mama is, uh, well, 
was a stripper at one stage before they got together. So Damien Lillard's sister was very, very quick to get in there and point that out. But, you know, I was watching something on ESPN today and, and they rightly pointed out these family members need to stay out of this. They're not oh, playing the absolutely. games. Stay, yeah. In, yeah. stay in your lane. You don't yeah. need to get involved with this sort of stuff. Let the players sort it out between them. But, geez, I hope Portland and the Clippers play each other in the playoffs. If there was a stat for being a complete dick, uh, I think the Clippers would win it. Well, another big show, Stewie. What are you amped for? Look, it's hard to go past the Thursday schedule in the NBA. You've got the Grizzlies, Trailblazers, Spurs and Suns all playing around the same time. These could very easily be deciding who gets to, to play in the playing games. And hopefully all four teams are still live at that stage. And look, for the AFL, look, I know what you're going to say. So <laughs> I'll probably say Geelong and Port Adelaide. I'll, uh, I'll jinx their game this week. How about yourself? Well, I'm absolutely stoked to go and see my Swannies get their asses handed to them by the GWS Giants this Thursday at Optus Stadium in the Battle of the Bridge. The Battle of the Footbridge. The Footbridge, yes, of course. Yeah. And you'll be there, so It'll that'll be indeed, some good yeah. fun. It's going to be bloody freezing, but hopefully the rain will stay away. And I don't expect to win, but I do look forward to seeing the boys in a historic match. Go football. Until next time, I'm Nath. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes.